Happy Saturday and thank you for joining me today. All right, here's how it started. The New Yorker writes, quote, The first diagnosis of the coronavirus in the United States occurred in mid-January in a Seattle suburb not far from the hospital where Dr. Frances Rito uh, and where Dr. Frances Rito, an infectious disease specialist, works. When he heard the patient's details, a 35-year-old man had walked into an urgent care clinic with a cough and a slight fever and told doctors that he just returned from Wuhan, China. Rito said to himself, quote, it's begun, end quote. For more than a week, Rito had been emailing with a group of colleagues who included Seattle's top doctor for public health and Washington State's senior health officer, as well as hundreds of epidemiologists from around the country. Many of them, like Rito, had trained at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention in Atlanta in a program known as the Epidemic Intelligence Service. Alumni of the EIS are considered America's shock troops in combating disease outbreaks. The program has more than 3,000 and graduates, and many now work in state and local governments across the country. Quote, it's kind of like a secret society, but for saving people, end quote, Rito told me. Quote, if you have a question or need to understand the local politics somewhere or need a hand during an outbreak, if you reach out to the EIS network, they'll drop everything to help. Rito is the medical director for infectious disease at Evergreen Health, a hospital in Kirkland, just east of Seattle. Upon learning of the first domestic diagnosis, he told his staff from emergency room nurses to receptionists that from then on, everything they said was just as important as what they did. One of the EIS's core principles is that a pandemic is a communications emergency as much as a medical crisis. Members of the public entering the hospital, Riedel Tota staff, must be asked if they had traveled out of the country. If someone had respiratory trouble, staff needed to collect as much as information as possible about the patient's recent interactions with other people, including where they had taken place. You never know, Rito explained, which count, which chance encounter will shape a catastrophe. There are so many terrifying possibilities in a pandemic. Information brings relief. End quote. <clears throat> if you recall, on March 13th, uh, President Donald Trump declared the coronavirus pandemic a national emergency. The prior month, he called the coronavirus a, quote, democratic hoax, end quote, and deliberately spread misinformation about it. Then he continued to downplay the pandemic and hundreds of thousands of lives were lost. And then finally, on July 19th, after nearly 130,000 Americans died because of the incompetent leadership at the top echelons of the federal government, the president of the United States finally decided to put on a mask. And now we are here this week where the president has decided to change his tone for political conveniency. More than 148,000 Americans have died now. And the past is irrevocable. We cannot bring them back alive, nor can we change what has happened. But we still do have time to get to work and improve this ongoing health crisis. In terms of, in terms of comprehending this situation and moving towards strategic and smart science-based decisions, we need, a, we need a particular agency that the White House is essentially shutting up. This agency has been with us since the 1968 Spanish flu, since the Ebola crisis, since the AIDS crisis under the Reagan administration. This agency has been with us through it all. All right. In order to make sense of what I'm saying here, 
Here's the story. On July 1st, 1946, the Communicable Disease Center opened its doors and occupied one floor of a small building in Atlanta, Georgia. Its main goal was simplistic and incredibly complex to prevent malaria from becoming, from becoming prevalent across the country. With a budget of only $10 million and less than 400 employees, the agency's early hurdles included obtaining enough trucks, sprayers, and shovels for wait for wa- excuse me for waging war on mosquitoes. Now, if you're now this agency was found the CDC this agency was founded during World War II. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt had just died. Uh, you have the Great Depression as back in the 1930s. President Franklin Delano Roosevelt had, uh, I believe, had just died. Uh, president Harry S. Truman was president of the United States, and we were still in World War II, and malaria was really big back then. So the CDC was founded. And so the CDC had a budget of only $10 million, and their new director, and excuse me, and their director was Dr. Joseph Mountain who persistently advocated for public health issues and to push for the CDC to extend its responsibilities to other diseases as well. CDC.gov writes, quote, He was a visionary public health leader with high hopes for this small and at that time relatively insignificant branch of the public health service. End quote. By 1947, the CDC made a payment of approximately $10 to Emory University, inquiring and essentially asking them uh, to if they could purchase 15 acres of land. And now today, th- that 15 acres of land purchased by Emory University in 1947 by the CDC, that 15 acres of land is known today as CDC headquarters. On October 27th, 1992, the CDC's name was changed to the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. On uh, And so that is essentially the, the story, the background of behind, that, that is essentially the story in the background behind the CDC. It's really intriguing. On January 17th, 2020, the CDC announced that it was screening people who traveled from Wuhan, China because of a new infectious disease that was hitting that city hard. That day uh, was the CDC's first public briefing. BuzzFeed News writes, quote, There were many reasons why the information the CDC had on January 17th was wrong. It was wrong because the Trump administration officials had cut CDC staffers in Beijing who might have reported the truth directly from China. End quote. So this raises a question. I mean, why would the Trump administration reduce the number of CDC staffers in China thinking that a pandemic was not inevitable? I mean, as you have heard before from National Security Advisor Susan Rice and other former and other former Obama administration officials, they left the Trump administration with a pandemic readiness guide with a pandemic response team. In the event that, God forbid, a, a pandemic were to transpire. And they just decided to tuck that information in a drawer. From January to early March, it was known as the coronavirus pandemic until the World Health Organization declared this a, a pandemic, a pandemic on March 11th. And since then, I should also add the United States has inexplicably left. WHO, the World Health Organization, 
I mean, all the health and epidemiological resources and advice we need, especially during, especially the way our epidemic is looking down in the United States with cases going up exponentially almost every single day. The president is saying, nope, and he's pulling out. He's backing away from that. I mean, it's almost like a, a repeat of 1918, where President Woodrow Wilson decided to downplay the pandemic until ultimately 675,000 Americans died. And that might explain why the leadership from the federal government is so feckless right now. On that same day, March 11th, the CDC vanished and ever since then has been turned into the president's accomplice in downplaying this pandemic. BuzzFeed News furthers their reporting by writing, quote, As the White House's coronavirus task force re- replaced the CDC as the, main information, as the main information source for a fearful public, Trump's increasingly erratic messages, such as his calls for treatment with an unvetted malaria drug, his refusal to wear a mask, and his attacks on scientists politicized a nationwide health crisis. End quote. Former CDC Director Tom Frieden uh, explicitly argued that the agency failed mainly because it has been shackled to an inept administration. He says, quote, the overarching problem has been the failure to have clear to have a clear national strategy, a national plan and consistent communication. Everything really stems from that, end quote. Also earlier this week, which is essentially two days ago, former CDC Director David Stature said if he had to grade our nation's response to the coronavirus pandemic, he would give us a C, quote, at best, end quote. He also told CNBC in an interview, quote, I think we are mixing the politics and the science in a way that can be very dangerous. In my work, in public health and in government, I have not seen this before. People may disagree for a short period of time, but then they get together and discuss it and then the decision is made. End quote. Yes, Miss. Yes, what Mr. Stature and Mr. Frieden these former CDC directors are saying is essentially this pandemic has become politicized in part because the president will not take it earnestly. And that is a problem. Earlier this week, the United States reached 4 million coronavirus cases and we are still rising. As far as states, California uh, has passed New York in the highest coronavirus case count, now number one in the nation as far as coronavirus cases. That was then followed today by Florida, which is now the second state in the nation with the most coronavirus cases. CNN reported today, quote, the number of hospitalizations has increased by 79% since the 4th of July. Uh, data from the state's health care administration shows at least 50 hospital intensive care units in Florida have reached full capacity on Saturday, which is today. The agency data shows eight of those hospitals are in Miami-Dade County and six in Broward County, end quote. I should also mention that in Jacksonville, Florida, uh, the president has decided to cancel the RNC and it'll now not be held in Jacksonville, Florida. Now he wants to uh, inexplicably take it back to North Carolina, where they said our epidemic looks pretty bad right now. And now the president's going back to uh, North Carolina. But in Texas, uh, coronavirus cases are surging. 
If you zoom out a bit from what the national media is covering, you will find the local coverage, in particular the Rio Grande, the Rio Grande Valley, uh, which is a coronavirus hotspot. Hidalgo County is a part of the Rio Grande Valley and makes up 3% of Texas's population. According to TexasMonthly.com, quote, in just the last week, Hidalgo County has seen 217 patients, 217 coronavirus patients die, two and a half times the number in Harris County, which now has more than five times, excuse me, which has more than five times the population. Statewide, the case fatality rate hovers around 1.2%. While in Hidalgo County, it's currently 2.9%, end quote. Uh, funeral homes and crematorials, crematoriums, excuse me, are overwhelmed in Hidalgo County. According to valleycentral.com, quote, those deemed too fragile or deemed too fragile or sick or elderly will be advised to go home to loved ones. Instead of receiving care, a startling acknowledgement of how resource-starved the region is. The Texas Monthly also reports, quote, their patients wait for more than 24 hours for ICU beds in ERs and stocked with recliners for patients without beds, end quote. Also, uh, pregnant mothers have had to have had to start having labor in their cars because the units are full in these hospitals. Hidalgo County Judge Richard Cortez has now issued a new state stay-at-home order because of the exponential increase in cases there. But apparently Texas Governor Greg Abbott is telling Judge Cortez, no, that's not enforceable. You can't do it. So Judge Cortez's ability to enforce this order to ensure that his constituents are safe during this pandemic, that is just hitting Hidalgo County the hardest, has been revoked. I I don't really understand why Governor Greg Abbott is doing this when hospitalizations and coronavirus cases in his state are surging. But you know, it's all fake, right? I mean, if you zoom out a bit further... In the state of Texas, you will find Dallas County, which today has just reported a new record high of coronavirus cases. According to their health department, they they now have more than 1,260 new coronavirus cases. Not to mention this is their seventh consecutive day of new cases. Yesterday in Dallas County, a five-year-old boy was the youngest to die after contracting the coronavirus. Judge Clay Jenkins in Dallas County has now ordered bars and clubs shut down. Judge Jenkins is now also urging that the Texas governor, uh, Greg Abbott, to, he's now urging him to get more stricter as coronavirus cases continue to soar, not just throughout the state, but particularly in, in that county, in Dallas County, Texas. Here's one more piece of news uh, from Dallas County, Texas. A local news station uh a local news station in Dallas County, Texas, called NBC NBC DFW, excuse me, uh, reports that the coronavirus cases that coronavirus cases among children in Dallas County have increased sixty three percent just this week. Judge Clay Jenkins says, "quote It's important for you to note that this rapidly spreading virus affects all ages." End quote. 
So that's currently the dire situation in Texas on the north. So that's currently the dire situation in Texas that requires a national response and requires national coverage as it is exacerbating there. On the northwestern side of the United States, Idaho is seeing new coronavirus cases as well. Chris Roth, the president and CEO of St. Luke's of St. Luke's Health System, says, quote, if we do not reverse this trend, we are headed for a crisis, end quote. NPR reports, quote, earlier this week, two intensive care units at St. Luke's Health System hospitals near Bose, near, excuse me, near Boys, filled up and began sending patients to the main facility in Boys. The intense care, the intensive care unit there is now running at about 130% of normal capacity. Respiratory therapists are being sent from a St. Luke's hospital two hours away to help. The outbreak has left Idaho's major hospitals walking a fine line. They want people in the community to take the virus seriously, but they're also careful to say that they aren't full. They can still care for all their patients. End quote. Dr. Uh, Dr. David Peterman, a pediatrician in Idaho, says, quote, if we don't take action in terms of masking, distancing and hand washing, then absolutely we'll be we will be Arizona. We will be Texas. Of course we will. End quote. Dr. Peterman is also, I should note, the CEO and pri- of the CEO of Primary Health Medical Group, which is Idaho's largest independent medical practice. The best thing for Idaho to do right now is to issue a mask mandate, but Republican Governor Brad Little has apparently passed the baton to local officials. That is apparently controversial because some of the local officials in uh, in the state of Iowa and excuse me in the state of Idaho are echoing the president's words calling the pandemic a hoax. But this should not be controversial. This is not a political crisis. This is a health crisis that requires the leadership local, state and federal to be at its best right now. We are now in five months into this health crisis, and we are still having people downplay the pandemic and people taking this as a joke. The president is encouraging it, and and his political allies are just echoing it. Earlier this week, the White House released guidelines uh, essentially ordering that schools reopen. and And what they essentially did was just slap a CDC stamp on it. Those guidelines were not written by CDC, but they were written by the Trump administration. If we want to get this pandemic behind us, we cannot defy, we cannot continue to defy the public health experts because they, they, because that will only make the situation worse. And even, even when the federal government and Stokel and, excuse me, and state and local officials fell us during this health crisis, we are seeing citizens rise up and protest about what is going on. For instance, in Arizona, Governor Doug Ducey tried to reopen schools on a random day, but teachers protested, and now he has changed his mind. When the federal government and state government and local government fells us, citizens are continuing to rise up and saying no, because this is a health crisis. We need the CDC right now. 
The coronavirus never should have been politicized. We need the CDC for clear, concise, and coherent advice on how to handle this health crisis that has now taken the lives of more than 140,000 Americans. Because the federal government is failing, and they are failing badly. If you just hold up three fingers, if you just take your hand and you just hold up three, three fingers, three fingers on your hand, if you just do that right now. Number one, the federal government and state government. Or, or, you know, actually, actually, number one, federal government, number two, state and local government, and number three, citizens. If the federal government is continuing to fail, and when the federal government continues to fail during this health crisis that has already killed more than 148,000 American citizens, when they fail, we look to local and state government because the federal government cannot get it together. When they fell, it is these citizens that have to rise up to get the situation under control because our leaders cannot get it together. This pandemic is going to continue to kill more people if governors do not ish, if governors do not get more serious, if, if people do not start issuing mask mandates across the nation. I mean, this is ridiculous. We are now nearly six months into this health crisis, and our, our death count is still continuing to rise exponentially. Governors and states are doing whatever the heck they want. But here we are. We are a poorly managed country right now. And in terms of understanding this, we need the CDC. The CDC was founded on July 1st, 1946 for a reason. Its mission then was to prevent diseases from spreading across the country and to advise us when things go wrong. They will give us the truth, even if it is intimidating. That is what we need right now. Not politically convenient remarks from the president of the United States still continuing to say that the virus will just randomly disappear one day when you wake up in the morning. It'll, it'll be gone. It'll disappear. Not to mention the president only just wore a mask one time. There are 101 days to the presidential election. Every single four, every four years, the American people have the ability to go to the polls to vote for the new president. Time is ticking and action needs to be taken. Much more ahead. At a time when we're asked to sacrifice, we step up to do our part. On the home front, on the front lines, to lend a helping hand and hold each other up. We are resilient, vigilant, and we'll get through this because we're better together, even if we're a little farther apart. Last week, I did an exclusive episode on Vanessa Guillen. I spoke with the president of LULAC, which is the League of United Latin American Citizens, uh, Vanessa Guillen. She was a United States military soldier. She was brutally murdered uh, by one of her fellow soldiers. Uh, the death of this Fort Hood soldier has ignited and demands, demand, excuse me, this, the death of this soldier has ignited demands for justice across Texas, and also across the country. This also has demanded congressional investigation into the disappearance and the killing of this innocent soldier.
According to KXAN, which is an affiliate for NBC News in, in Texas, quote, State Representative Cesar Blanca, Democrat for El Paso, was among the representatives Friday. He said he's planning to file a bill next legislative session called the Vanessa Guillen Act. Quote, the act will prohibit retaliation retaliation, court-martialing, and another punishment against victims or survivors for reporting sexual assault. The idea is that the bill will ensure criminal sexual assaults can be prosecuted in state courts to the full extent of the law, to hold offenders accountable outside of the military chain of command, end quote, Representative Block said. Quote, he, he said he also aims to help the families of those who have been assaulted or missing with the new legislation. So this, also, this news broke this week. Also, House lawmakers are to hold uh, hearings to review the killing of Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen. I'd also should note that a Houston rapper named Trey, Trey the Truth, uh, is selling shirts and masks uh, to raise funds for the Vanessa Guillen family. Also earlier this week, uh, a custom casket was donated for the burial of Army Specialist Vanessa Guillen. Uh, the person who donated that casket saying, quote, she sacrificed for us, end quote. And as the investigations are continuing into the death of this innocent 20-year-old American Latina soldier, veterans are asking answers, excuse me, veterans are asking Veterans are asking questions. They are demanding justice for this innocent soldier. Veterans are wanting answers on Vanessa Guillen's murder and also the sexual harassment claims. Things are now moving into session. Action is now being taken. Three weeks ago, her remains were found. This is an ongoing case it is not over yet. Questions need questions are being asked, and they do deserve answers, as this ongoing case is still being looked into. Morehead. If you looked at America like a bird, and that was all you knew, would you really understand it with just that point of view? We've got a different way to look at it from right here on the ground. We don't just see United States, we see United Towns. From where we sit, just down the street, near the post office, by the park, when we stop and look around, what we see are sparks. Sparks of hope, of compassion, of communities who stand firm, when neighbors lift each other up, expecting nothing in return. We're grateful for what you bring, and all the sparks you've shown, and the thousands of towns that we get to call home. Welcome back here in South Carolina. Every morning when I wake up, uh, there is the Post and Courier newspaper that is outside of our door. And the Post and Courier was founded in 1803. Uh, the Post and Courier is also the winner of the 2015 uh, Pulitzer Prize for Public Service. Uh, this is Saturday, July 25th, and the headline is just astonishing. Quote, SC hospitals fill as virus cases strain resources. Quote, I think the public should be concerned, one emergency director says, as some patients are redirected to other medical centers. 
Beside that, it reads, quote, McMaster is pushed for mask mandate. Uh, if you are not a South Carolina uh, resident, uh, the governor of South Carolina is Henry McMaster, Republican governor. Uh, he is not pushing for a nation. He, excuse me. He's not pushing for a statewide mandate. Uh, but essentially, people are pushing him for a mandate as coronavirus cases here in South Carolina continue to rise. Earlier, uh, I believe a couple of a couple of weeks ago on this show, I had a SC educator on Miss Livingston essentially talking about how the governor is wanting schools to reopen here in South Carolina. Now, the governor has essentially provided two different options here for students. One, virtual learning whole year. Two, go back to school for five days a week. Those are the options. Uh, but as, as far as coronavirus cases essentially just skyrocketing here in the state of South Carolina, if you go back to the, if you go back to this headline, SC hospitals fill as virus cases strain resources. The lead quote: South Carolina emergency rooms are so full and inpatient beds are so scarce that hospitals have been forced to send sick people to other medical centers. Several, excuse me medical centers several times this summer, occasionally redirecting them to sites hours away from their homes. Healthcare providers say the COVID-19 pandemic is straining the state's hospital system in a way that they've ever, in the way they've never seen. Quote, I think the public should be more concerned. Marcella McGeorge, director of emergency services at Roper St. Francis Hospital. Quote, the hospitals are filling up. The hospitals are very short-staffed and they need help as the coronavirus pandemic is getting worse. Uh, excuse the paper turning here, but I'm going to page A4. On that page, uh, it reads here, quote, yes, from this one, quote, on Thursday, Keytinger tried to help another patient with a kidney infection and a sustained high fever seek hospital care. Quote, I called three different hospitals and she couldn't get in. A specialist stepped inside, excuse me, a specialist stepped in and was and was able to administer IV fluids to the patient in an outpatient setting, she said. Quote, that probably saved her life. One local hospital was recently forced to board more than 20 patients in the ER, Newton said. Meanwhile, uh, excuse me, meaning th that meaning that these people were too sick to too sick to send home, but the hospitals had to run out of room. Excuse me, but the hospitals had run out of room to admit them to an inpatient unit. "Quote: It's a lot of worse. It's a lot worse than people realize. We feel like there's a huge disconnect." End quote. Essentially saying that. It's a lot worse than you think. Take this pandemic seriously. Also, here in the United States, uh, 150, 150 doctors signed a letter that essentially is talking about restarting our response to this pandemic, essentially getting it right and starting over and doing it right this time. Because cases are continuing to soar, and, and is particularly in the south region of the country. In the south, southeastern, southeastern region of the country, also in California, also in Idaho, where cases are continuing to rise exponentially. Here's the letter. Quote, shut it down, start over, do it right. An open letter to America's decision makers on behalf of health professionals across the country. <clears throat> Quote, 
Dear decision makers, hit the reset button. Of all the nations in the world, we've had the most deaths from COVID-19. At the same time, we're in the midst of, quote, reopening our economy, exposing more and more people to coronavirus and watching numbers of cases and deaths skyrocket. In March, people went home and stayed there for weeks to keep themselves and their neighbors safe. You didn't use the time to set us up to defeat the virus. And then you started to reopen anyway and too quickly. Right now, we are on a path to lose more than 200,000 American lives by November 1st. Yet, in many states, people can drink in bars, get a haircut, get inside a restaurant, get a tattoo, get a massage, and do myriad, do myriad other normal, pleasant, but non-essential activities. Get our, get our priorities straight. More than 117,000 Americans have died of COVID by June, by mid-June. In our response, if our response had been as effective as Germany's, estimates show that we would have had only 36,000 coronavirus deaths in that period in the United States. If our response had been as effective as South Korea, Australia, or Singapore, or excuse me, or Singapore's, fewer than 2,000 Americans would have died. We have prevented 99% of those COVID-19. We could have prevented 99% of those COVID-19 deaths, but we didn't. The best thing for the nation is not to reopen as quickly as possible. It's to save as many lives as possible. And reopening before suppressing the virus isn't going to help the economy. Economists have gone on record saying that they have on that the only way to restore the economy is to address the pandemic itself, pointing out that until we find a, a way to boost testing and develop and distribute a vaccine, open or not, people will not be in the mood to participate. Listen to the experts. Public health professionals have made clear that even after we contained the virus by staying at home in order to reopen American cities and towns safely, we will need enough daily testing capacity to test everyone with flu-like symptoms, plus anyone that they have been in close contact with other, excuse me, with over, with over in the last two weeks. We currently have 35% of the testing capacity we need to meet that threshold. The more people get sick, the more testing is required. Also, a workforce of contact tracers, large enough to trace all current cases. That's 210,000 more contact tracers than we had in April. But the number keeps going up as infections rise. Most states are far short of the number of contract tracers they need. In, attention, in addition, we need more personal protective equipment, PPE, to keep essential workers like health professionals traveling, excuse me, like health professionals, emergency responders, and grocery store clerks safe. Shut it down and start over. Non-essential businesses should be closed. Restaurant service, restaurant service should be limited to takeout. People should stay at home, going out only to get food and medicine or to get or to get or to exercise and get fresh air. Masks should be mandatory in all situations, indoors and outdoors, where we interact with others. We need that protocol in place until case numbers recede to a level at which we have the capacity to effectively test and trace. Then, and only then, we can trace a little more opening. We can try a little more opening, one small step at a time. You should bar non-essential interstate travel when people travel freely between states. The good numbers in one state can go bad quickly.
if you don't take these actions, the consequences will be measured in a widespread suffering and death. We need you to lead. Tell the American people the truth about the virus, even when it's hard. Take bold action to save lives, even when, it's, even when it means shutting down again. Unleash the, the resources needed to contain the virus. Massively ramping up testing, building the necessary infrastructure for effective contact tracing, and providing a safety net for those who need it. Many of the actions of our many of the actions of our government thus far have fallen short of what the moment demands. Mr. Trump, the federal government, Mr. Trump, federal administration, honorable governors, excuse me, honorable governors, we remind you that history has its eyes on you. Sincerely, 150 doctors, end quote. Uh, not necessarily sincerely 150 doctors, but sincerely all of the doctors who have signed this list. End quote. We are now six months into this crisis. More than 148,000 Americans have died. This letter indicates that if we had taken earlier action at least 36,000 Americans would have been dead during that time frame, I believe in April. If we had taken actions like the other countries, like Singapore and South Korea and those other countries, we could have just, the death count would have just been at 2,000 Americans. But because of the downplaying and the incompetent leadership at the top echelons of the federal government, we have now lost more than 148,000 of our fellow American citizens. And yes, history does have its eyes on you. Get to work. This is time for serious action. We failed the first time, so let us try again. We could not get it together the first time, so let us get it right this time. This virus should never have been politicized. This is time not to shut up the medical experts, but to get them in and to take and to make science-based fact decisions. This is a pandemic, not a political hoax. I don't know where that came from. I don't even know why that came, but this is serious. And for the last note, here's a little bit of good news from the goodnewsnetwork.org. The Senate unanimously voted to protect sea turtles and dolphins from drift nets in the last spot that still allows them. Good News Network reports, quote, sea turtles, whales, and dolphins may soon be free of the deadly possibility that they will get entangled in the huge drift nets floating off the coast of California. The United States Senate on Wednesday unanimously passed a bipartisan bill to phase out the use of the harmful mesh gill nets in the federal waters there, the only place the nets are are still used in the United States. The mass drift nets, which are very deadly to uh, whales, dolphins, sea lions, sea turtles, fish, and sharks, can also now be and can now be become entangled in the large. Uh, excuse me. They are very deadly, and they can and sharks and also the animals that I've just mentioned can be entangled in these large uh, mesh nets. But these United States Senate has now just unanimously voted uh, that these drift nets will now be taken out. 
So a little bit of good news uh, ending off the Jeremiah Patterson show this Saturday. Uh, tomorrow on the Jeremiah Patterson show, you will listen to some late voice messages uh, about the anniversary of the show. Uh, so they just sent in their messages and that'll be on tomorrow on the Jeremiah Patterson show. But thank you for listening to this episode of the Jeremiah Patterson show. Have a great day and listen in tomorrow for those voice messages. Bye-bye.